So, I want to start at the end. And I want to talk about, uh, I'm going to read you a passage from the book of Revelation. We've been doing a, a series of messages uh, sort of launching from this passage. But it's a picture of what will one day be. And it's described in the terms of what one day shall no longer be. That which shall no longer be. What will life be like once we have graduated from this life and we are in the presence of God for eternity? What will it be like to live in a place where there is no sickness or disease, where there is no suffering, no poverty, no conflict, no despair, no sin, and no death? And so, Today is the conclusion of this exploration of this idea of what uh, shall one day no longer be, and we're looking at this idea of an existence where there is no death. And so, I want to read to you from the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation. It's very close to the end of your Bible, if you are looking for it there, and just hear these words, they're, they're a depiction of this day when God brings everything together in its final state. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son." We start there at this point in redemptive history where all of our struggles are behind us. And God has overcome. He has conquered. He has won. He has brought about uh, the impossible, really. Uh, Peace. Eternal, everlasting peace peace. And the question, I suppose, is how did he get there? How did he bring us from this world of conflict and strife to this place of eternal peace? 
And to answer that question, we're going to go to a different book written by the same author, ironically. Um, We're going to go to the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at a couple of passages from really towards the end of the Gospel of John. We're going to look at a passage that depicts the crucifixion, and then we're going to look at a passage uh, shortly thereafter that, that describes the the first realization of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I want us to use this as a lens for understanding how. How did God bring us to the point where all the strife and conflict of this world was overcome and laid to rest? So first, I'm going to open us to the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. I want to read you uh, verses 28 uh, through 35, I believe. I'm going to put my glasses on for this one. John records these words. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. And then, on the third day following this event, John records these words in his gospel in chapter 20. I'll read verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went 
and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You ever seen anything that's just unbelievable? I mean, we can go shallow if you want, and the the A&M basketball game against Northern Iowa in this year's uh, tournament, they were down by like 14 points with, I don't know, a minute left or something. That was crazy. I, I actually walked away and Kathy's like is the game over I'm like yes totally over what happened A&M got destroyed they won in the second overtime I'm not even sure how that happened um, you know or, or we can go we can go deeper if we want to um, you know I think about my own soul, dark though it may be, and the fact that God would choose to work through me or you or any of us, really, is astounding, quite honestly. We are so inept in this realm of spirituality. We're so attached to this world. We're, we're like Mary Magdalene, wanting to cling to the physical Jesus, thinking, this I can touch. This is here. I, I, I can hold on to this, and there's so much more. The call is so far beyond what's right in front of us. It's almost impossible to comprehend. And that's what I, I want us to do this morning is, is look as well as we can from here as far as we possibly can see into that future, into that reality where everything has changed. And so to get us there, we start at the crucifixion. And we are called in that gruesome act to find the forgiveness that is ours on that cross. To look to that selfless act by God Himself in human form to see that we are forgiven. From the very origins of Judaism, Sin brought about death. There was no atonement for sin apart from the shedding of blood. And throughout the Old Testament, it was uh, an unfortunate group of animals that mostly bore the brunt of this truth. That man sins, that we screw up and we leave a mess that only can be cleaned up by the shedding of blood. And 
here on the cross, the ultimate blood is shed. And John tells us in chapter 19, verse 35, that he's writing all of this down so that we can believe. We all need to believe that that death was for us. Believe that. If you take nothing else away from today, take that with you. That death was for you. We are to not only believe, but to allow or let His blood cover our sin. That involves a certain humility on our part to recognize that we're not perfect, that we are in fact sinful, that we are in need of cleansing, but to let His blood cover over our sin ultimately means that we are to rest in His completed work. There are uh, three different places in these passages where John emphasizes, or God emphasizes through John, that the work of Christ is finished complete. Let me be clear. If you are striving in your heart to be right with God or get right with God, if you feel like this is some kind of a task that you have to accomplish to be forgiven, you're missing the point. God's forgiveness is unconditional. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't add anything to the finished work of Christ. We are strivers. We are Americans. We were either born here or came here for opportunity. We're driven And we think everything has a price. And yes, our salvation does have a price. The problem is, we can't pay it. It has been paid in full by Christ on the cross. When we see that, when we grasp that and accept that and believe that, when we let His blood cover our sin, we find rest for our souls for our weary, weary souls. We must believe. We must trust in His blood. We must drink in the water of life. John says in Revelation chapter 21 that this water of life will be flowing from heaven for God's people in eternity, in perpetuity. It will never dry up. Jesus has a very fascinating uh, last wish. He says, I'm thirsty. And he probably bit into that sponge and wet his palate so that these words would be clear articulate and audible to everyone around him. 
it is finished. And at that point, he gave up his spirit, John tells us. Our thirst is quenched in Christ. We seek him in, what does he say when he gave us the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes? That blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And in the first century, those were not light terms. Those were not, I just finished mowing the grass and I want a beer, right? Those were people who understood what it meant to be without food and water for prolonged periods of time. And Jesus says, I, 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 I know that you spiritually know what it's like to be dry, to be apart from God, to be separated from Him, to be longing to be near Him. And so we look to the crucifixion where the work of forgiveness is finished on our behalf. It's done. The price is paid. We are redeemed. And we look beyond the crucifixion to find hope in the resurrection. This is a great day because every other experience we've ever had with the end of life has taught us something that that's it. Our connection stops there. And Jesus sort of lovingly shakes his head at Mary Magdalene and just calls her by name. Says, Mary, it's not over. The work is finished, but the life has just begun. Lift your head. He overcame sin and death. And He rose from the dead to prove to us that this life is not all there is. There is more. And Mary realized that in in its fullness for the first time that Sunday morning. When she turned around and heard her name and was in complete disbelief as she ran and embraced her Savior. She knew the message. She knew the truth that sat before her or stood before her. The resurrection should lift our heads and it should call us to listen for our name. I'll put it this way. When an all-knowing God goes to the cross to offer up His life, He knows specifically for whom He is doing this. He has your name before Him. He has your heart, your soul in mind. He is inherently 
about loving people well. He knows you. And He went there for you. So, He died for you. And the resurrection reminds us that He lives for you. Here it is, plain and simple. God is crazy about you. He loves you. He actually enjoys being part of your life. I would think he would get bored with me. My wife is wondering, how could that ever be? Or fed up. That you can understand better. Just trying to, you know, get there. Um, you know, there's a... You know, the, have you ever seen the cheesy little poem, Footprints in the Sand? You've seen that, right? Well, my favorite is the one that says, Butt Prints in the Sand. And they, they look back on the life and they're like, God, why is there those two impressions in the sand? And God's like, because I got sick of carrying you, man. You're a whiner, you know. Just, it's just a joke. Don't get me wrong. I don't actually believe God's going to do that to you, Calvin. All right. Fair enough. Um, he loves you. He lives for you to be together with you. Did you hear the words in Revelation as God articulates the end? I'll read them again briefly. Behold, my dwelling place, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. With you. For you. He's alive to be with you. So, we have His forgiveness that we find in the crucifixion. We have the hope that lifts our heads of the resurrection. And we are to also find power in his ascension. What a bizarre thing to say to this confused young woman as she goes from grieving to disbelief to hope in the flash of a moment. What a bizarre thing to say as she embraces him like undoubtedly any of us would have, right? He's alive. We thought he was gone. He's here. Nothing else matters. Uh, You're getting a hug. Right? And she throws herself around him, undoubtedly still weeping, but now for a different reason. And he says, don't cling to this. What? What do you mean? Don't. This is all I want is you back. He says, no, no, no. This isn't, this isn't the big deal. This is just one step towards getting to where this all needs to be. And he says, don't cling. Let go. Go back and tell the others what you've seen and what you've heard. And tell them that I will ascend. I will rise to be in the presence of God forever. Why 
on earth is that so important? I'll try to explain. The ascension is the point where we truly grow. We grow closer to God. God is spirit. He is spiritual. That's His nature. Um, Don't get me wrong, just if you need theological clarity, Jesus was physically raised from the dead. That's that's true. Um, But God, by nature, is spirit. He is spiritual. And to know Him, we have to get past the here and now. We have to get past this existence, everything that besets us in this physical universe. This universe is comprised of, what did Einstein say, space, matter, time, and energy. Is that about right? And God is spiritual. He's none of, he created all of those things. He exists beyond them. And if we are going to find peace with Him, we have to get beyond all of this and connected to Him spiritually. And so, we're called through the ascension to grow closer to God, to come back to Him personally. He says in Revelation chapter 21, that's why I'm doing all of this, to get my people back, to win back the hearts of my children, those who I will call my own. He went through the cross and the grave to be back together with us. He wants us to come back to Him personally, and He wants us to come back to life spiritually. This is what matters most, that we find life in our souls apart from space, matter, time, and energy. We find Him spiritually. We connect with Him at the deepest levels of our soul. That's why He said to her, don't cling to Me. This is a physical resurrection. We're, we're, we're actually moving towards something far greater, a spiritual connection between us that nothing can, can overcome, nothing can take away, that evil cannot even threaten. So, We're to grow closer to God because of the ascension. Because Jesus transcended this existence and He's pulling us towards another place where there is no conflict, no strife, no suffering, poverty, despair, or even death. And he, as He pulls us there, we are also to move toward others, toward those around us to change the way we relate to the people in this existence. And you hear this echoed several times in these passages that we read. You hear uh, God saying to John in Revelation, write this down. I want my people to know this. I want them to understand. You hear John saying 
uh, in his gospel as he records the details of the crucifixion. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. I'm not making this up. This is so real, I cannot even describe to you how real it was. And then you hear Jesus say to Mary Magdalene, go and tell the others, tell them what you saw, tell them what I said. This idea that we are to have impact on those around us, that we have a message to bear into this life that says there's, there's forgiveness, there's hope, and there's power. Our movement toward others, I'll try to make this simple. Our movement toward others should make it easier for them to know God, to understand God, to believe in God. Our movement towards one another should encourage faith and build strength in those around us as opposed to the ways we often respond to others that undermines strength and faith and hope and love and grace. You and I are called to take the finished work of Jesus and spread it. The hardest places to do that are the everyday places. But nonetheless, we're called to give others an opportunity to grow closer to Him as He, through the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension, has given us the opportunity to grow closer to Him. Will you pray with me? God our Father, we thank You for your love that compelled you to leave heaven, to become human, to suffer, to die. And Lord, we thank you that your love did not stop there, but that you overcame, you rose from the dead. And that ultimately you ascended to heaven to remind us that we have a destiny there in your presence to be with you forever. And we thank you, Lord, in the meantime, while we are here suffering and questioning and wondering that you are present with us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for that grace that we don't deserve. And we thank you for this day to celebrate you overcoming sin and death in our own lives and finishing the work of forgiveness for each of us. It's in your Son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.